Hi, I'm Allison Bukowski, and this is The Customer X-Files. I'm delighted to bring my years of marketing experience to the amazing community that supported me throughout my career. My passion has always been elevating the customer to the focal point of all marketing initiatives, and I'm proud to now lead a marketing organization with a truly customer-led approach. Each episode, I'm joined by an incredible thought leader within the marketing industry, generous enough to share their insights, knowledge, and experience with all of us. Brought to you by the PeerSpot Network, nothing is off limits. And just as our industry continues to evolve, so will this podcast. We will feature guests in live Q&A sessions, panel discussions, and more. So let's get started. Hello, welcome everyone. So today, as you guys know, we're talking about one of my favorite subjects, content. But we're not going to talk about just content creation today, but the actual consumption of that content and what we really need to do as marketers to keep that top of mind when we're driving a content strategy. I, once again, lucky to have not one, but two amazing guests today. Matt Egan, an executive leader with over 20 years of experience leading successful editorial teams. He also is Foundry's first global content director. Matt, you're going to have to tell me about getting that title because it's one that I always wish that I had at one point. And Matt leads and supports Foundry's world-class teams of journalists in key markets around the world, is responsible for data, e-commerce, analytics, video, and content strategy. But perhaps, as you guys know, I'm always about people before professionals. Matt's also a kindred spirit. He has his degree in English and drama from the University of Hull. He's married, two children, and enjoys running. Uh, Matt will talk about whether that's away from the kids. Uh, we'll find that out here in just a second. And of course, Donnie, Donnie Lerner, who is largely responsible for me joining the PeerSpot team. He's also PeerSpot's Vice President of Strategy. And for nearly a decade, Donnie has been driving innovation and growth at PeerSpot. He's responsible for enhancing existing offerings, but also developing new solutions. He fosters extremely valuable partnerships here at PeerSpot and specializes in working with enterprise technology marketing executives to formulate really strong go-to-market strategies. Donnie is located in Israel. Uh, his wife, he has three adorable yet constantly trying children, aren't they all? And he's blessed to genuinely enjoy what he does, which I think is something we all strive to do. And also likes gaming and pickling, pickling interesting vegetables. So we're going to have to talk about that. But welcome, gentlemen. Thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun, Allison. I've, I've always wanted to be on your podcast since met and you didn't have a podcast. And now I get that opportunity. It and you know, you could just send me a Slack message, Johnny, I mean, and, and say, hey, put me on the podcast. But but here we are. And so, okay, pickling, which means food. We're going to talk about content and content consumption. But Donnie knows this. Matt, you're about to find out. I will work food into any conversation that I have. So today's People Before Professionals question is, your favorite meal of all time? Like you could, like you could only eat it. That that's it for the rest of your life. I'm going to start with you, Matt. What's your go-to? Well, this may be because of the pickles. Um, but can I just, can I just ask a couple of supplementary questions? Like when we talk about favorite meal of all time, am I allowed to choose the time as well as the meal? Um, I, I, I'll tell 
Faithful. Okay, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I love food. I mean, I think about food pretty much all the time. I finish one meal, I'm thinking about the next. Um, and therefore, I could give you a different answer um, anytime you ask me that question. You know, it, it could vary. There, there are some there are some favorites, you know, sushi, Mexican food, Korean barbecue. But if I can have any time, I'm going to, I'm going to take you back to uh, the late 80s, the early 90s. We're in uh, Yorkshire, which is a part of the north part of England. Um, and the thing about people like me who grew up in Yorkshire is we believe we have the best British Indian food in the world. Um, we have some challenges to that crown. Um, and, and, and if I could be 18 again, um, I would go for the hottest um, vegetable curry, lots of chapati and naan bread, critically gallons of uh, Yorkshire IPA. Um, but, but, but I would do that when I was 18 um, because I could do that. Um, and if I was to consume that food now, uh, I wouldn't be running anywhere. I, I would be crippled and in agony for several days. So I think, I think that's where I'd go in terms of my favorite meal of all time. I love it, Matt. I, I think we're going to be good friends. <laughs> we would have pickles as well, right? So that's that, that's uh, that's great. There can be there can be pickles. I have to ask Yorkshire. So I have family there, and it's uh, it's very rare that usually it's it's London. Everything is 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 London. Like, well, there's a lot more to the country actually. Yeah. So, well, most of the people. It's funny because I was in a meeting uh, earlier today when I was talking to someone who said, "Oh, well, I live in California, uh, but I'm from New Jersey," right? And and this chap um, had been in California for thirty years. It transpired. I, I've lived in in and around London for twenty five years, but I will still say, if you ask me, and a lot of people in London would say the same thing, like, "Well, I live in London, but I'm from, and I'm, I'm definitely from Yorkshire." Wonderful. Already a connection. Didn't even know it. Okay, Donny, are you going to eat pickles for the rest of your life? Or I can I can eat pickles for the rest of my life. I think I think I all of my teeth would disintegrate. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to pick a meal. I'm going to pick a food, which I think should be part of every meal. Um, I'm I'm one of those people that thinks Parmesan cheese belongs on just about everything and that I use other foods as a Parmesan delivery system. <laughs> um, so I'm going to go with Parmesan cheese. Final answer. Huh. Final answer. I can hang out with my daughter. She puts it on... <laughs> Within the microplane at home, and it's just always a block of it in the refrigerator. I, and she's a picky eater, so her foods are about five. But parm, parm goes on on everything. So it, it it belongs on everything. Matt, do you need to revise? Do you have a favorite cheese that you need to throw <laughs> well, into the mix? Well, again, if I'm if I'm throwing back to being eighteen, it's all the cheese. Um, and and I think you know, uh, my doctor would tell you no, I shouldn't have any cheese. Um. And that's because I had all the cheese um, uh, at that period of my life. Um, so, so again, no argument. But if I if I can go back to eighteen, I'm I'm taking the Parmesan. I, I'm I'm taking probably um, uh, I, I'm I'm going to take the most stringent, um, objectively awful blue cheese. I mean, I'm I'm going to blow my head off um, um, with cheese for sure. Uh, again, largely because it's it's got a kind of a Proustian rush because that's not part of my life anymore in a great uh, a great deal. There's a good meme in that, Matt. Uh, maybe get so, somebody from your team to get a picture of 18-year-old Matt surrounded by cheese, hashtag all the cheese. All, all the cheese, exactly. Well, I'm I'm from Wisconsin, America's Dairyland, and I don't like I, cheese. There, I've said it. I, I, I've said it. I don't. All right. Al well, Allison, I'm, re I'm rethinking our friendship now. <laughs> Sorry. I know. I know it's just, it's not right. But fried cheese is a different category. 
That's uh-huh. not cheese because when you fry it, everything is better. Cheese curds, mozzarella sticks, you know, take take your pick. Um, I, I will answer my own question because that's only only fair. But I am just on the heels of a of a trip to Florida, so I might be a bit influenced. But all the seafood, like all the cheese, yeah. all the seafood. So my meme will just have like piles of you know grouper <laughs> and stone crab and and stuff behind me. Um, and if I may have a beverage. A classic uh, martini, vodka, not gin, which has come up on this this uh, this show far more probably than it needs to. So, I'll I'll use that as a segue before we get into. Uh, we already talked IPAs. Now we'll talk vodka. But now let's talk about Foundry for just a second here, Matt. Um, I would love to hear first the title, a little bit more about what you do, and then a little bit more about Foundry and what the work that you do. I think everyone would be very interested in hearing about that. Sure. No, I appreciate that. Um, but I, 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 I feel very fortunate because I feel like I have the best job in the world. Um, so it's my job, um, my privilege to support um, Foundry's teams of journalists around the world. Um, and, w- and what our teams of journalists around the world are doing is, is creating um, independent editorial content that helps uh, IT professionals make decisions. Um, so, you know, for Foundry, formerly IDG Communications, been around for 60 years. Um, and what we do has never changed fundamentally, although the formats and the structure of how we do it has changed oh, many times over the years. But what we do is we make connections between those people who are looking uh, to purchase IT solutions and the vendors of those solutions, right? The first group are our audience, the second group are our customers. Uh, so we do this by providing those our audience, those IT and business leaders, with expert, independent, journalistic content, and that helps them with their careers, um, every day of their careers. In many cases, we do that through global editorial brands. So again, it's 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 my privilege to support our teams who who create content for CIO, CSO, Computer World, Info World, and Network World, and um, all over the world in pretty much every well on every continent uh, and in pretty much every time zone you can think of. Um, and our readers engage with us through our content and also through the communities that are built up around those 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 brands. Um, and that engagement, um, both in terms of the content they consume and what they tell us about it, what they tell their peers about it, our, our events, you know, helps us to understand when they're in need of our customers' products. And we can facilitate those connections on behalf of, of those vendors for our customers uh, through introductions, advertising, and other marketing activity. Um, so yeah, that, that's my job. I get to basically um, support uh, journalists in creating world-class uh, award-winning content. I think that that's a fabulous job and uh, bully for you for being an English major and not teaching because I'm in the, <laughs> same, the, same, the same boat. So it says, oh, what are you going to do with that English degree? Uh, yeah. You, you want to teach. So there you go. We have both broken the mold. We do something different. Right. And it's safe to say, I think that you know a thing or two about content. So we're going to talk all about content today. And I I want to start by just kind of setting the stage and get off on the right foot and talk about creating the right content and why it's so important today for creating, but also for consuming that content. And Donnie, maybe I'll I'll just, I'll go to you um, because obviously you and I, you know, here at PureSpot, spend a fair amount of time working on content, but then also talking about content. So 
why is the right content and the right content maybe at the right time so important? And if you want to talk about AI, feel free. That's obviously something that has entered the conversation. So I'd love your thoughts. Yeah. So I think the first thing to answer maybe is, is what is the right content, right? The, the right, I think the right content is content that helps somebody uh, move forward in whatever initiative they're looking to move forward by, by reading it, right? So you read content about leadership. It's because you want that to speak to you and, and what you hope to achieve. You read content about uh, technology that uh, Matt and his team put together. It's because you want to learn more about those uh, those technologies and, and grow yourself. And you know you read user generated content, user reviews, because you want to know what other people like you have experienced uh, with these products in order to help you make a more informed decision about about what you're looking to do. So I think the, the right content is a content that answers the question that you had when you uh, when you go out there and uh, and, and find it. Um, in terms of why is it important today? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll let Matt talk a little bit first. I want to I hear your perspective before I share mine. Thank you. Appreciate that. I mean, I, I could, you know, I, I hard agree with everything you said, right? And and I really love the way um, you set that up in terms of the, the right piece of content is, is what's right for you at that point, right? Because you're seeking uh, a specific piece of information or entertainment, right? So, so speaking more generally, I guess I would say the reason why it's in relation to the question directly, the reason why it's so important today is because there's an incredibly low barrier to entry in terms of creating and publishing content. Um, so in fact, there's kind of infinite scale of content um, that, that one can uh, engage with at any point of day. So I think um, trust and the ability to give genuine insight is critical. Um, being unique, trustworthy, and insightful uh, is critical because just because you can create content at scale, should you? And I, I go back to the point you made so eloquently there, Donnie, like what purpose does each piece of content serve? Um, and, you know, if I'm, if I think about the magazines I subscribe to, you know, sometimes it's because I just want to be entertained and I want to enjoy myself. But if I'm looking for um, a piece of insight around a purchasing decision for myself, or my organization, you know, everything you described is true. I, I am going to want to speak to a peer um, or a fellow customer um, to get insights about the reality of, of, of that purchase. But I'm also going to read expert independent reviews. Um, and I might well, you know, consume um, the um, the advertising content and the vendor content that's about that product because, because they're all relevant um, in, a, in a different way. But I think what AI has brought into this conversation on top of everything else is that, you know, the barrier to creating infinite amounts of content is now even lower. And so it's even more important if I take on the second part of your question, uh, Alison, like it's even more important when we're thinking about consuming the right content is to understand what that content is, right? There is, everything's valid, um, but you have to know what you're consuming and a, you know, new formats and, and sources of content will and are proliferating and that's fine. But I think it's really important um, uh, in a world of kind of almost infinite um, information um, to understand the provenance and source of the content you're consuming. So I, I want to actually share one of my favorite uh, tur turn of phrase. Is it turns of phrase? Is that English majors? Is that turns yeah. of phrase? Uh, turns of phrases. Um, 
Yeah, um, I I heard this first uh, uh, maybe six seven years ago from a, a, a VP of content at a at a large enterprise uh, company, and and she was talking about how um, she wanted to uh, move her team away from creating random acts of content, and I think that's a it's a really great way of explaining both what uh, unfortunately there is a lot of this in marketing, and what I'm afraid will be even easier to do, or rather um, more pervasive um, in the world of AI is content for content's sake rather than content to achieve a goal, content to be helpful, content to, to genuinely uh, uh, educate and 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 engage and interest and, and excite people um, to and and to again help them achieve whatever goal uh, they yeah. set out for. So I think uh, one of the interesting things that I like about um, uh, sort of helped start this conversation, Matt, is uh, I love the research that you guys put together on the different kinds of content and yep. uh, what tech buyers want versus what marketers are creating. Um, yes. I'd love to uh, hear a little bit about that, or we can talk about that for a second. Allison, if you don't mind. <laughs> no, I think that that's a great, I was going to bring up the audience in this, you know, this co conversation around the right content, the right time, it's the quality versus quantity argument, but it's also about who's consuming it and the audience. And I think with that, Matt, to your point, uh, the evolution of, of AI and content creation, uh, audiences are going to become a lot more savvy. Might I go and say they may become a bit more cynical and critical as well of the content. So I think that that dies question is a fair one. So go for it, yeah. Matt. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, just picking up on a couple of, couple of the points Tony's made like before we get to the research. Um, uh, it's again, funny enough, I was in a meeting earlier today where we were talking about, um, with, a, with a customer talking about kind of, uh, selling to, as we do to two types of customer, right? Often the same time, the CMO and the CRO, right? And most of the time with our customers, they, they, they have the same goal, but sometimes they don't. And when they don't, it's because the CMO is really only interested in fulfilling a tactical goal which is filling up the pipeline with numbers. The CIRO wants to make sales, right? And if you've got a tactical goal, you can do that with just about, it. you know, you can do that by a volume attack of content, right? You're going to get people to engage with content. They become potential purchasers. But to Donnie's point, they're not necessarily going to convert because actually you don't know anything about them because all you've done is got them to consume some landfill content, essentially. It exists. It happens. Not often. Um and you probably hurt your brand along the process, right? 100%, right? Just because you can do that, you shouldn't necessarily. So when we think about the research, what's really interesting is it kind of makes sense. But like, we know that um, specifically as it relates to our business and to IT purchasing, there's a whole group of people. There's more than 20 people involved in those purchasing decisions. Actually, there's more than 20 roles involved. Like a huge enterprise, multiple people have those roles. And each of those people is consuming multiple different pieces of content. And every, every piece is as valid and important as each other. And, and that can range from, you know, my team doing a beautifully curated buyer's guide that, that involves hundreds of interviews, um, talk with experts, really digging into the technical details. It definitely includes, you know, communications with peers, um, you know, and, and peer spot, right? Because, because you know, what, what, you, what you do brilliantly is is identify active, genuine buyers and, and get them to talk openly about, about their experiences. It's incredibly valuable. But it can also include vendor content for sure, because you know, because as long as you know what that is, that's that's extremely valuable and useful. Um, and it includes things as banal as 
RFP templates or like, you know, in the first instance, understanding um, in, in enterprise IT, it's often understanding what is the problem you want to solve, right? Because you need to put a name to it. And that's quite, you know, it, it, again, it sounds banal, but understanding what is it I'm looking to buy? What is the solution I'm looking to buy? And then who who are brands I should even consider uh, in this space is a really important piece. So I think, I think I, again, I come back to the same point, which is everything's, and Donnie made this beautifully at the beginning, everything is valuable um, and valid um, in its place and in its time, you know, because every every uh, user, every potential purchaser, every consumer of content has different needs and wants at various different times. But it's really important that it's authentic. It is what it is, and it provides uh, an honest and trustworthy uh, yep. piece of information in the context of what it is. Just like your your curry at at eighteen years old, <laughs> Matt. That's a perfect circle. <laughs> it all comes back to the curry. It all circles back. Uh, I I want to. Pause and dig into this term brand. This, you know, this this around brand, and we often think about brand as your your company, right? Your organization, its brand, especially as marketers, that's a big piece of it. But I want to also talk about and get your thoughts on brand awareness that is tied to content. Uh, we're gonna kind of dive into review contests specifically. That's not really shocking for you know, the folks that are on this conversation today. But I also would like to get your thoughts around content as a brand as well. And I think that's going to become more and more important as content evolves up to everything we've discussed this, you know, thus far. What are your thoughts on that as far as brand, both content having its own brand, how it ties to the organizational brand, and what that looks like and will look like maybe in another five years' time. Either one of you, jump in. They're both they have very pensive looks on their face right now. <laughs> I always have something to say, so I'll, I'll throw it. I know you do, Donnie. I think when you think about brand and content, I like to you know go back to like the textbook definition of what, what started content marketing, right? And the, the real, the original goal of content marketing was that People would identify your company as the expert in this space and they trust you and they would be more likely to buy from you. That's how everything that we do, all of this content creation started. It wasn't with lead gen. It wasn't with getting people to fill out forms. It was, it was about getting people to identify your brand as the expert in whatever this space is. And so I think the most critical part of creating content has to be what do people think about our company after they read this? And and how does that make them feel? And how does that make them act? Yeah, it's hard to agree. Uh, I mean, authenticity is everything as well, I would say. So, you know, if I think about, you know, we love all of our customers, but our best customers are the ones, or our most effective customers when they're working with us, are the ones who understand, you know, our brands have a relationship with the audience that, you know, we're going to put above everything else because that is that is our business. Essentially, is that we 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 have a um, a protected and authentic and honest and useful relationship with with our audience. And the way if they want to communicate to our audience, the best thing to do is to speak in their own authentic voice. But but to be themselves and and actually not often to exactly to your point, Danny, often not to kind of overtly or directly kind of advertise or push push a solution or product. It's about engaging a user and that user leading that conversation, understanding who you are, 
and appreciate who you are kind of thing. And, and as it relates to reviews specifically, because because you asked that, Alison, I think it's really interesting because, again, our research will show that people consume reviews at all stages of the buying cycle. Um, there are specific pieces of content that they consume only when they're actively in market to buy, and there are signals that they, they give, and, and you can triangulate that, that with their peers and all of that good, you know, complex and amazing stuff that my colleagues do that helps our customers. Um, but, you know, but s- serious buyers are always looking for this information and they will consume reviews all the time because they're interested. And from a brand perspective, your brand kind of has to be in it to win it. So you have to be seen to be part of um, the solution set at all times in order to be top of mind when the um, when, when, when the purchasing cycle is, is really acting. And so I think reviews are, they're, they're such an important piece of content in so many different ways. Um, and I feel like in a, in a world where more and more content is available, that that robust independent review, either by a peer or by an expert reviewer, is becoming, if anything, even more important because it sort of cuts through a lot of um, a lot of other um, um, types and channels of, of, of content. Right. I think that's also related back to this sort of AI question, which is, you know, uh, uh, ChatGPT can pull together all the information from lots of different places. But if you don't understand the source and the context of that answer, then it's it's not that valuable to a to a serious tech buyer who, who needs to make a kind of decision. And and that's why it's even more important to have that sort of in-depth user-generated form of content where you you get to feel the whole context of what this person is doing with the product and and how and and how their use case and tech stack relates to your own. Yeah, I, I spend a lot of time at our own um, user, end user events, um, and you know, you talk to talk to the end users all the time, and it and it it, it kind of anecdotally um, bears out what we're saying and what our research shows, which is they go to those events because they want to hear the expert content from the expert speakers. They definitely want to hear from the vendors, right? They want to hear from the advertisers, but and then they want to have a drink and chill out and catch up with their peers and and have real talk. Um, and, and as you related to AI, Donny, it's really interesting because, um, you know, we're in the early stages of this book, but at Foundry, we, we've published our first um, generative AI app. It's called Smart Answers. It's on our business-to-consumer publications, so PC World, Mac World, Tech Advisor, Tech Hive, and only in English, right? So this is baby steps. There are a lot of user testing um, and actually a lot of testing with the editors as well. And, and what we found... Several really interesting, but I think quite gratifying things. Right, people will absolutely accept um, gener- generative AI creating content for them if they know that's what's happening. Um, they need to know the source, and in our case, the source is a large language model of only our content. Right, no, no, no other content's in there, so we're utterly confident that um, it's accurate. Um, but also that we had to over time in the training, getting human feedback. Like it's really important to people that if the AI doesn't know, it doesn't guess, and so and so you know, and and that you know, we get we got so much more um, kudos and repeat engagement for it returning an answer saying, "I can't be sure about the question you're ask asking." And then what's really fascinating is it does transpire that you know to go back to your previous or original point about all types of different content and for different people at different times, um, we can see. Very clearly, people come to our publications to read long discursive articles um, or to read news articles and they read the whole thing or they consume podcasts or videos. Uh, now, with our smart answers, which again is it's a very small launch that we've done, 
we haven't promoted it particularly. Um, he's getting 200,000 interactions a month from people who are looking for a single insight. So they're going to Macworld and saying, which smartwatch should I buy? Um, and that's really interesting to us because it is kind of humbling in one sense, because it shows that, you know, maybe they didn't want to read my entire 3000 word treatise on, <laughs> on technology. But it's also really gratifying because it shows there's a real hunger and thirst for insights from human made content. Um, and, and it gets me excited because I feel like generative AI could be an accelerator for the dissemination of human made insights for real insight from, you know, professionals and peers, um, rather than what it's been used for in some uh, spaces to this point, which is like a cheaper and faster way of creating quote unquote content. Go ahead. Go ahead, Danny. I want to segue on that thought. I want to take this to an interesting place and, and, and counterpoint, uh, that and, and see where it goes. Okay. First, I love what you're doing with generative AI. I think that's very cool and I want to play around with it. Here's one of my worries. All right. I've, I've read plenty of articles in, in your network and, and, and they're great. I worry that what we're doing with AI is going to be condensing down part of the human experience to question, answer, question, answer, rather than the age old best medium of storytelling. Yeah. And so on the one hand, I'm excited by AI being able to easily probe thousands of articles to find, you know, sort of the best answer to a question. But on the other hand, I'm worried that the world that that evolves into is sort of devoid of of nuance and 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 storytelling. And so I'm curious, as as the content czar of <laughs> Foundry, um, you know, what what are sort of your your thoughts about that um, sort of that natural um, uh, challenge? I, I also worry about that, um, but I see this as uh, as as a very uh, important kind of inflection point, but it is on a continuum, right? And so if I think back to when I first started working for Foundry, ID Communications, ID Communications as it was then, you know, I was um, a copy editor on a magazine. Um, my role and the publication and the medium were defunct within, <laughs> within <laughs> like 18 months of, of me starting. And yet people's desire and need to consume content in multiple different formats has, if anything, only grown. So I, I do worry about that too, but I also think it does speak back to your initial point, which is that it's about the person, what they need, the moment and the time. So one of the things we have trialed, and this is very much not uh, in, in the public space because it's not ready for it, but I'm happy to talk about it, is user-initiated ways of consuming content, both so smart answers takes all of our content, but at the article level. Um, so, you know, uh, I, I'm interested in what is in this article, but right now I want to consume it as a summary, which is which kind of speaks to your fear, right? Or even as bullet points, which can be done. But also, maybe I want to consume it as a podcast, and I don't mean I don't mean a text to speech um, reading. I mean like it's been edited by the AI to create a, a podcast um, script, and it's been delivered by an AI what's right. This is really early days stuff. Like it kind of works right now, not in a way that we think um, it is worth um, kind of publishing and there's some risks around it and things like that. But it's interesting that people have um, a, a desire for it and they also have a desire for the full thing, right? They want it to be, you know, and it is that kind of retail thing about entertainment informed, right? There are times when 
you know, and without without pulling back the veil too much, you know, we consider some content transactional and some informational, right? And the informational stuff bleeds all the way to our blogs. Some of our bloggers like have really loyal followership. And yeah, you, you can interrogate those blogs to get to a specific piece of information, but you also want to be informed and entertained. And my 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 hope, my faith, my belief that actually since we've started playing with generative AI, it's being confirmed more than anything, is that is, is that human beings do value that storytelling and and do want to have it. Um in the same way as magazines do still exist, it's that it's just that the job I had when I started a PC advisor was, you know, we published reviews of desktop PCs, and you know we had a letters page where people would write to us, and the earliest they could read the reply in the magazine was two months later. Right, that is a that's a different methodology. Right, that working anymore, uh, but at the same time, the desire to read that discursive feature that really gets under. Uh, actually, the other example I would give is is case studies, which we do a huge amount of, and they're kind of with with there are sort of version of your peer reviews, right? They are they are they are curated, a journalist speaking to lots of different people and really talking about you know the journey that an organisation or an individual has gone on, and they're never going to be kind of um, it's not like SEO driven mass market content, but they've got such a loyal followership because. For the people who read that content, it's not that they, they don't even know what they're looking for. They want to be informed by what their peers are going for. Um, and I, I I don't see that going away. In fact, quite the opposite. It's just everything in its right place. I, I agree with I agree with everything that's being said here, but especially on that last point, Matt, that you made. And content has been part of it. I started as as a writer and doing proposals back in the day. So I had to cringe a little bit when we talk about RFPs. For a second, but I think that the our attention spans have gotten shorter. Can we all just? I think we can nod and we can agree that we because we're used to having what we want more quickly. But I don't think that negates what we want, and I think there is still a need for the story. So I'm not as worried, Donnie, um, about that going away. Now, of course, I'm a customer-led marketer, so I wouldn't be worth my salt <laughs> if I if I disagreed with with that. But I think it's still a craving for the human experience. And Donna, you said something very smart. You said if someone has to feel and they have to act. And it doesn't yeah. mean feel like warm, fuzzy feel. It means connect. Connect with the content. Connect with the experience. So we may be able to, in my mind, AI and things like that, that can get me at a voice that I connect with, an authentic voice I connect with more quickly so then I can consume, you know, the the content. I think we're still hungry for that, for connecting with, and just as we are in our personal lives, right? We we are friends with everybody. We're not supposed to be. Um, it's why we you know, usually get to pick. I think it's the same thing. It's finding the content. And so I think the narrative is still going to be there and not going to go away. Uh, I think one of the questions, because a lot of the, the listeners to this podcast are obviously marketers, and content is a big part of their world, comes the question of scalability. And how do you, how do I do my job, right? And scale content effectively. And now that Matt, to your brilliant point, you can do it. There's so much now that it's almost overwhelming. So how do you focus on the right content and then be able to scale that, um, Matt, I'll start with you just kind of commenting on, I think we've we've talked about obviously authentic reviews, 
that that story that's all important as far as the content do you want to comment on scalability and then and then donnie i have a couple of specific questions for you yeah, yeah absolutely i think i mean again there are no simple answers to this but i think scalability is about um is about the individual you are trying to reach right so um and, and every individual is different and they all have a slightly different need so i think it all starts from you 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 understand the problem you're trying to solve um, you understand the need you're trying to serve um, and the person you're trying to reach. Um, and then I feel like if you can create that one thing that is that is important and design, let's let's take for an example something like a peer support and um, user review, right? And you know, I'm not just saying this, they are incredibly valuable pieces of information because it's it's an active buyer who has spent time sharing their insights. If I'm a market marketer and I've got a piece of content like that course in its in its fullest form that's incredibly valuable but again i come back to the idea of the right person at the right time and at, at the right spot of their day the, the buy-in cycle the, their level of knowledge versioning of all the insights in that is, is one incredibly powerful thing and extracting the various different pieces of information you've got pricing information you've got kind of more touchy-feely like how do i feel about it you've got a conversation about the experience you've got technical information all of those things scale out as individual pieces of information. You can combine with with other pieces of content to give to give a collection. You know, these are areas where things like uh, machine translation and transcription they all help. But I think it's it's ultimately it's understanding about what is the problem that I'm solving, and the multiple myriad different ways you can solve that for people at different stages of their day, their buying cycle, their 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 mood, um, and and that's a really good way of of kind of of scaling things, it start from a really powerful, strong role source uh, and understand the problems it's solving and then solve those problems in as many different ways as possible from that initial source. And when, go ahead, Donnie. Oh, so I just, I wanted to, first, I agree with everything you're talking about, Matt. I think that that's uh, in, insightful. Um, uh, but I want to I want to talk about for a second one part of the uh, the article um, uh, that you guys put out that I really liked. Um, it was very interesting to me is the the idea of um, this disconnect uh, between uh, buyers really wanting content filtered for them, yeah. and and the uh, difficulty that marketers have with creating content that's filtered that's personalized at at scale. Um, yeah. I think that that's so, it's such an interesting thing that I, I think we're only thinking of now because there are so many tools out there and, and there, the possibilities are, are expanding, but the fact that people are starting to demand, require something that feels like it was made for me. Yeah. And, and on demand, right? It's, right. it's like, I don't want to be called by someone trying to sell me something. I want to be able to find a demo of it at the point which you know i'm I'm yep. looking for it for sure and I, and i i i feel this is one of those i mean i love our industry because i you know i've worked in the same employer for over 20 years and i have not had the same job for more than six months at a time right because it, because it just changes and i've got one of those brains i can't cope with doing the same thing all the time but i like the fact that our, our goal and our ethics and the core values that underpins it don't change right so that means you get into really interesting situations and I have this feeling that this is one of those points where we'll look back in five years' time and it'll just seem bizarre that we were doing things in quite the way we were, by which I mean, I think personalization and curation are going to become huge. And I think that's something the generative AI can, can help us to bring. 
when used correctly. And it's like the more, in a non-creepy way, the more you know about someone, the more you can serve their needs. And and actually, if you give them the tools to extract um, that, the information the way they want it, they're going to tell you about themselves in a way that's mutually beneficial kind of thing. So, you, you know, you're absolutely right. And it's very insightful, Diane, because what you've done is you've picked up on my previous answer and kind of moved it to the next place it needs to go, right? Which is we, we can take the raw materials and we can break it off into multiple insights, myriad insights. We can recombine with other bits of content, all of that good stuff. It becomes meaningful and exciting and useful when individuals are able to do that or are able to do that for individuals in a way that's like taking something at scale and making it meaningful for the individual. And I just have this feeling that that's going to become like a huge part of all content consumption. I, I don't think that's going to be optional for too much longer because it is what is expected. Just as I mentioned about our attention spans are, you know, getting shorter, but we also expect to have something that is personalized. And if you are personalizing it, if you are hitting me where I am, to your point, Matt, whether it's a buyer's journey or how I feel on a Tuesday at three o'clock in the afternoon, uh, I can move on, right? And and Donnie, I still, I still remember you and I sitting in Boston a couple of years ago. It was over lunch, of course, because it's food. We had Mexican food that day. I remember these things. And we were talking <laughs> about, I'm a marketer. You were picking my brain and asking me at the time. And I said, man, I'm asked so often from sales from a customer success team and the people listening are nodding right now that hey allison i need this and i need it tailored for this particular industry or i need it for this particular persona i mean that is eat sleep breathe marketing content and i'm sure matt you remember the back in the day when you were also asked the same question and donnie you and i kind of talked about this and it's like how do we do that that's what we need to be able to do uh, so I'm going to tee you up. You're being very like PC, but I'm so excited about when we talk about scale and being able to do this, uh, peer reports, which is something that is right here on just the horizon in front of us, uh, for peer spot, I'll let you have that funder. And will you just talk a little bit about what that is? And then we can talk about why it matters. All right. Sure. So, uh, Peer reports is 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 my baby. Um, I'm very excited about it coming out uh, very very soon. Uh, it's this powerful content engine that enables marketing and sales teams to generate high performing, customized reports about their products in seconds, all based on user generated review content. So the reports can be customized to 31 different industries, verticals, company sizes many different topics within the reviews. And all this can be done uh, programmatically uh, at scale. It's all just based on what really users are saying about your product. So we want to sort of put this in the hands of not just marketers, but every different role in marketing and every different role in sales and allow people to take that voice of the customer and share it with their customers, their prospects, whoever they're talking to, at scale in a personalized way without sort of the risks that come with that generative AI, like, oh, is it going to make something up right now? Well, it's not because this is all based on what real users are saying about your product. So I'm really excited to be able to start delivering that next level experience to buyers throughout the buyer's journey. 
And and I'll just chime in here if I may, and then you know, Matt, maybe you have some thoughts as well. But as a marketer, um, I think we make a mistake sometimes if think scalable equals quantity. I don't know why we make that disconnect, but we seem to where it's like, well, I've got a scale, which means I need to get bigger, which is not necessarily, I would say that scalability is being able to deliver more quality and targeted content. So everything that you're saying, Donnie, so just a real example, which is, hey, I have sale, you know, sales of like, I have a deal and this is who they are and this is what I know. I need to share with them people that they're going to connect with. And that's why this is so exciting when we think about scale that way. Um, Matt, comments on on that? Yeah, completely. Donnie? Yeah. I, I, it's, um, I mean, again, I'm, <laughs> I don't have to say this, right? I think it, it's really impressive. And, you know, we love it because I think it, it dovetails nicely with what we do in terms of serving our audience. Um, and, I, and I completely agree. Um, as you speak to scalability versus volume, that's such a good point. Um, you know, in, in our world, it would be, you know, if we're creating um, if, if we're creating content and we do create marketing content for our customers, um, you know, if it's for uh, a customer who is based in Asia Pacific rather than the US, the same insights and the same information and message is absolutely valid. Um, but um, what what needs to change is kind of the voices that are heard in it because there's a, there's a subtly different um, um, experience for end users in, in that space kind of thing. So it's not about just pumping out loads more content. It's just about making it relevant for the intended audience. And, and Donnie, I know that, you know, when you and I talk, I try to at least kind of be a conduit, right, for the conversations that I have with marketers. But I know there's a few things that you've done such a tremendous job with this. So hats off to you to really hear the the customers. But if it's okay with you, I just kind of want to toss a couple of like, okay, well, here's my challenge. And a very big one right now is cost and how expensive it can be to generate content and, you know, how you're going about making that better for us as marketers. Uh, can you speak to that a little bit? Because I know that everyone's listening like, yeah, that's going to, you know, it's too expensive <laughs> to go down that route of content creation. Yes. Uh, so absolutely. I think there were like three main goals we held up in front when we were trying to figure out what's the right way to execute on this. We, w we wanted to, to, to everything Matt's been talking about, give buyers what they want most, which is, you know, the right content from that voice of customer that's personalized for them. And next thing we want to do is we needed to do it scalably and cost effectively. So it's got to, you've got to be able to not just create one piece of content at a time and then push it out and then see how it performs and then iterate on it, right? It's got to be done at scale and it's got to be done in a, in a way where you're not getting charged per piece of content. You can create lots of them as part of a, a very reasonable subscription, uh, less than what you would pay for one paper uh, in in many places. And then the third thing is uh, help people grow their organizational impact, right? And this is something that I know is, is near and dear to your heart, uh, Allison. We talk about, uh, I feel like every time I talk to a, a customer marketer, a customer advocacy professional, they talk about how much amazing content that they're creating straight from their customers' mouths and how difficult it is to get all of the different teams within the company who could use that content and, and who could 
really benefit from using that content to to use it effectively. And so we, we wanted to build this in a way to sort of help take that raw baseline of these amazing customer interviews and scale that out to all the right people in the company for their needs at the right time with really, really sort of low overhead, no training, a few clicks and you're done. And that, that's sort of the, the vision of what we, uh, we believe we've achieved, but we'll, we'll also get better at it over time. And with, and one of the other things that I, I want to call out here and thank you, Donnie, for, you know, mentioning that, that, you know, multiple masters, right. Is something that marketers especially face, but all of us in different roles, right. You have, I have customers that I am serving both internally and externally, and sometimes the ability to, to do that and to scale that effectively as well. So to empower and to provide a tool uh, is is really important. But then it's not only scalability, but it's adoption, right? And how do you adopt? And so a question that, a bonus question for both of you, kind of around content adoption. Matt, I would love to get your thoughts on all your years of experience in content. Like, what's the magic? What could you tell, you know, listeners about content adoption? Oh, wow. The magic. I mean, I think the magic is there's no magic, right? I think if you ever find that you are, um, uh, if, if you're convinced that, that there is kind of a, a trick, it's a trick, right? And ultimately yeah. that, that might work up for a while and does, you know, but we, we know like there are plenty of people in our spaces who are, you know, amazing at SEO, right? And that, that can be, that can be valuable in terms of um, getting eyeballs onto a thing. If you really understand the need that piece of content is serving and if that piece of content serves that need well right it's not it's not something i'm denigrating but it can't be the only thing and ultimately i'm going to repeat myself and it's a boring old thing but i've been doing this for a long time you have to solve the audiences or the customers problems ultimately you need to understand what it is that they need and want and that that, that can be discursive and entertainment and it can be like a really important nugget of information and you've got to do it again and again and you've got to do it at scale and i think ultimately as we're talking about this now it becomes um, uh, it becomes scalable if you're able to do that in a modular and curated and personal way. But I don't think it, I mean again, I work for an organisation that's sixty years old, and and it and we started out. Computer World started out being a gazetteer of all the computers in North America because you could do that then because because there, there was only like a handful, um, and that was important information for people. And now now it's not that, but we're still providing important information that helps solve people's problems. So, uh, so there's no relevant to that, which is brand, which again is be consistent as Donnie speak with the voice that people expect to speak with, make them feel to an extent and, and people will find you. But yeah, I think, I think if you're looking for magic and I know I'm not being facetious, I know that wasn't really, but I think if you're, if you're looking for the trick, that's tactics and tactics are really important, but ultimately solve the problem and the person is looking for that information and key. So I'm I'm definitely gonna agree with with Matt on on this that this is one of the most difficult organizational challenges that I encounter and I don't believe anybody that I know has encountered a magic bullet for this yet. Now that being said, I do think your best shot is always to understand the need and the workflow 
of the the constituents that you're serving. If you're serving salespeople or SDRs, for example, you have to be able to surface the right content for them to use at the right time in a place that they are naturally looking. Because if, especially for sales, SDR, anybody on that side of the house, if it's not built into their workflow, your chance of having them adopt it is close to zero. It's, it's so difficult. Um, so I would, I would build it as much as possible into their workflow, make it as easy as possible for them, teach them how to do it, but, but focus, focus on the, on the workflow. It's, it's gotta be just a natural part of their day or it doesn't get used. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And actually, I mean, the only, the only thing I would slightly, not necessarily push back on, but just add to that is sometimes you know, being in there at the right time means being there all the time kind of thing. You know, I, I was a very inept um, soccer player, but I played at a reasonable level. And, you know, every now and then a coach would say, oh, you were there at just the right time. And it's like, yeah, because I made that run uh, another, <laughs> another nine times. But you just... And I think one of the things that the more we know about our audience and the more we're able to understand what they need from that content, the more efficient we are able to be in that space. But you are absolutely right. It is when that person needs that information, you need to be there. Lots of nuggets of wisdom, Matt. Yeah. Well, Matt will find out, Donnie, you already know. So if I'm looking over, you should see my notebook. I'm still old school and I have a notebook and I and I write down the nuggets and I capture them for when we're going to talk about this episode. And there has been so much and we could probably talk for another hour if we had the time available on this particular topic. Um, so, you know, before I say thank you and it comes with a huge thank you, I think that there is so much here about content, the type of content, how people are consuming the content, how content can be your brand, um, how content relates to an empathetic experience, tying those two together, and why that voice of customer, well, we are going through a huge evolution. And Matt, you said something you know, earlier a couple of times that it, it's different but the same yet yeah, is kind of, you know, I'm taking away that we're going to constantly have to be there, right? You got to be in the right place at the right time, but at the heart of it, much has stayed the same. We just have to work within how the landscape is, is changing. So this has been a, an amazing experience to have both of you here to have this conversation. Um, anyone have any, I usually ask for best piece of advice, um, which I guess could be for marketers, it could be for life in general, but any parting words of wisdom that you'd like to share with the listeners? I'm just curious if there's any uh, Indian restaurants that also serve Parmesan, so Matt and I can go grab them yeah. sometime soon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and I was just going to say, listen to podcasts. You <laughs> There you go. Uh, Parmesan and curry is the question mark. That's the big question coming out of the episode. <laughs> Listen to podcasts with an exclamation point, you know, after it. And to everyone, thank you so much for joining us. Don, Donnie's always got another thought. Okay, Donnie, go I, got, I just want to throw out a, a plug. Um, we're we're building this now, and it's 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 launched and it's great. And we're we started a beta. I want people to reach out to me to get access to the tool, play with it give feedback, help us build that next generation and make the next generation experience even better. Donnie, D-O-N-I at peerspot.com or connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I, I just want to talk to people about this stuff. It's so much fun for me. 
And thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to do that, Allison. Matt, this has been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Look, Donnie, sales till the end, I tell you, buddy. You're kicking <laughs> out my marketing, my marketing, which is when I get to to promote this amazing episode. And Matt, hopefully I can share some information with our audience um, about you and about Foundry. And yes, that's D-O-N-I. Last name is L-E-R-N-E-R. I promise everyone I will share that with you when we get the podcast episode out there. Until then, thank you, Donnie. Thank you, Matt. This has been a wonderful conversation. And to everyone else, we'll catch you the next time. Take care. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget to follow me, Allison Bukowski, on LinkedIn, where you'll find information about upcoming episodes, Q&A sessions, and live panel discussions with our guests. Customer X-Files is brought to you by PeerSpot, the authority on enterprise technology. The PeerSpot buy-in intelligence platform is where tech professionals go to get the most reliable information on enterprise tech so they can be sure that what they buy is exactly what they need. Powered by a community of over 650,000 enterprise tech professionals who share expertise, PeerSpot provides in-depth reviews, buyer's guides, online forums, and more, giving professionals the confidence to make the right buying decision. For more info, check out marketing.peerspot.com. And to keep getting this show in your podcast feed, every time a new episode drops, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.